This is Jesus speaking, and he says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, <clears throat> excuse me, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You may be seated. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at this stretch of Scripture for several months, and we're, we're coming to its conclusion in just a couple weeks. And so we are, we're entering the concluding section of the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> where Jesus essentially leaves us with a choice. So today we're looking at verses 13 and 14, especially where Jesus starts setting up this challenge of which way, which foundation, uh, what kind of fruit does your life bring. And so we have to start wrestling with that personally. If you're a believer, does your life reflect the kingdom? If you're not a believer, will you come into the kingdom through Christ? Now verse 12 summarizes the kingdom way of relating to others. This is the famous golden rule passage. Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And he says, this is the law and the prophets. He's actually referring to the command of loving your neighbor as yourself. This is a, a simple way to, to explain what the ethics of the kingdom are as it relates to horizontal relationships. How are we to love each other? How are we to trust to, to, to relate to each other, we are to treat each other as we would like to be treated by them. It's very simple to do it. So if your law-keeping, if your obedience does not result in loving your neighbor as yourself and treating others the way you'd like to be treated, you're not really obeying the law and the prophets. So Jesus tells us that quick summary of that, kind of to finish off the previous section and then he doesn't leave us there because we can easily misunderstand verse 12, the golden rule, as simply being concerned with being nice people. It's easy just to isolate that, that verse and say, well, the essence of Christianity is just be nice to people, love other people. Jesus does, doesn't want us to misunderstand that. So he gives us verses 13 and 14 that talk about the narrow gate and the narrow way, talking to us about a restricted a narrow way of Christian discipleship, wanting us to understand that it is only through him that we can live this kind of life that he's been describing in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'd like us to focus on verses 13 and 14 and look at it under four headings. So four points, very simple this morning. Number one, the gate. Number two, the way. Number three, the end, the destination of the, of the way. And number four, the king. The gate, the way, the end, and the king. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. He means that there is one entrance into the kingdom of God. There is one entrance into life. There is only one entrance, and he is that entrance. Jesus offers salvation to sinners and a new life with God. He offers that to us, but that's not the whole gospel. It's not just that he offers salvation and life to us. 
the gospel is that only he does that. Only Jesus offers salvation and a new life with God. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There's only one way into the kingdom. There's only one way to God. There's only one way into life. And Jesus says, I am it. I'm the narrow gate. You want God? You want life? You have to come through me. It's a narrow gate. One gate. The uniqueness of the Christian faith does not lie in our moral demands or in our missionary zeal or in our expectation of judgment at the end of history. The uniqueness of Christianity lies in the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. That's why we're Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to believe that only Jesus leads us to God and to life. Only Him, exclusively Him. He's the narrow gate. Someone once said that a truly Christian sermon is one that would get the preacher kicked out of a synagogue or a mosque if he preached it there. Now you see, we have a lot in common with other religious people. A lot of ethical agreement, a lot of moral agreement, a lot of agreement in our rejection of injustice in the world and inequity in the world. But what makes us so irritating to the world, what separates us from all other religions is that we claim there's only one way to God. And that is through Jesus Christ who died and rose again. In the early church, when when the gospel first took hold and started spreading in the Roman world, in this Greco-Roman civilization, nobody had a problem with Christians saying, here's our God. He's like this, and we worship him like that. Nobody had a problem with that. The problem was when Christians started saying, which they did from the very beginning, there's only one God, and our God is the God for everybody. You can't have any other gods. Even Caesar cannot be worshipped. That exclusive allegiance to Jesus is what got Christians in trouble. That's why they were in prison. That's why they were thrown to the lions. It wasn't that they, they worshipped Jesus. No, that wasn't a problem. There are lots of gods in the world you could worship. And you can find all sorts of combinations of those gods. But as soon as someone said, there is only one God... There's only one way to God. That's when the world gets really, really uncomfortable with us. Now, in preparation for this Sunday, I listened to a sermon on this very passage, on verses 12, or actually 13 and 14, on the narrow way and the narrow gate. It was preached at a chapel service at a prominent evangelical seminary. The preacher was a New Testament scholar and a seasoned pastor and preacher. And so he defined the narrow way with a lot of background to the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus meant. He defined the narrow way of the kingdom as being open before God who sees you and loves you. That was the point of the sermon. Embrace the narrow gate, embrace the narrow way, but the narrow way is being humble and open before God who sees you and loves you. 
I get angry listening to sermons like that. I hope you do too. Because that's not a Christian sermon. Sure, what he said was right. Does God want us to be open? Of course he does want us to be open before him. Does he want us to move away from the external obedience only and and to internal obedience too and give our hearts to him and know that he sees us and know that he loves us? Of course. There's nothing wrong with that. But those kinds of sermons are preached in synagogues and in mosques. This idea of humility is not an uncommon idea in the world. For a sermon to be a distinctly Christian sermon, it has to say only Jesus. Not just Jesus, but only Jesus. Only Jesus. This is the kind of stuff that that puts us at odds with all of the religions, puts us at odds with the world. Because we say there's a narrow gate. And only through this gate you can know God and you can have life. This is the offense of the gospel. And as much as we want to make the gospel accessible, and we do, I try not to use religious language as much as I can help it so that this message of the gospel is accessible to anybody. Everybody's welcome in our church. Everybody's welcome to listen. We want you to come and listen. Whatever your worldview persuasion is, we want you to engage with us. We want an open dialogue. But we will never, we will never take the barrier of exclusivity out of our presentation. Because there's only Jesus. There's one God and there's one way to him and it's only Jesus. There's a narrow gate. And Jesus says there's a narrow gate. Enter through a narrow gate. It's narrow. We cannot widen it. If we widen it, we lose it. We lose the gospel. This exclusivity is utterly consistent throughout the Bible. You know, there are some scholars, there are some teachers today coming out of the church that are saying, you know, this whole idea of only Jesus and being very exclusive and being limited and narrow-minded. This is sort of what evangelicals and fundamentalists come up with. And I say, no honest reader of Scripture can deny that our God is an exclusive God. He's very particular. He tells us this is the way. Here is one way, here is one condition, here is one direction. He does it all over the Scriptures. This is who He is. He's a particular God. When we read the Bible, we see a God who separated the light from the darkness. How narrow-minded of God is it to say this is dark and this is light? This God said to Adam and Eve, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is our God. This God said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, this one person. God has chosen one person and says, through this one person, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This God said to Israel and Egypt, and when I see the blood, the blood of the lamb on the doorframe, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So narrow-minded to say the only salvation, the only way to avoid death is to put the blood of the Lamb on your doorframe. No other way. That's the only condition. 
This God gave detailed instructions to Moses regarding the construction of the tabernacle and said, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you. God tells you the place and the manner in which he will interact with humanity. When you read the Bible, and some of you are reading through the Bible this year, and I hope all of us are doing that, as you read through those, those vast chapters of the Old Testament that describe in cubits, right, what the temple is supposed to be, what the tabernacle is supposed to be, no honest reader of Scripture can read that and walk away saying God doesn't care. God cares very much. How we worship, who we worship, how we come to Him, gives us detailed instructions. He's a particular God. This God told David, your throne shall be established forever. Your throne. One family, one line, one clan. Through this one person, all other kings will come. God deals with us decidedly on His terms. He's a particular God he likes being exclusive. Is it any wonder then, is there any surprise at all that the church in the New Testament declares this about Jesus Christ? And there is salvation in no one else, the church preaches. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see how consistent it is? When Jesus comes... And the church understands who he is. And they understand what the message of the gospel is. Right away, they grasp that it's exclusive. We are not just doing another thing, another religion. We're kind of different from the Jews, so we're going to add a little bit. Maybe some people like it better. Some people maybe can stay Jewish, and there's all sorts of other options. This is not how early Christians felt or thought. Because they were biblical Christians. They read the Bible. They knew Jesus. They knew that Jesus is the light, the light. He is Abraham's seed, and he is the son of David. There's a culmination of all this exclusivity and particularity. All of that comes to Jesus and through him. And when he shows up, he's the Passover lamb. His blood saves us. His blood is spilled over the heavenly mercy seat. He is the yes and amen of God. He's the narrow gate the one mediator, our peace, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All this language from the Bible makes perfect sense because of who God is. And how dare we today to say, well, that's narrow-minded. That's too close-minded. That's too bigoted. That's too intolerant. I don't get to determine that. God is who He is. He deals with us as He deals with us, as He decides to deal with us. We can reject it, but we cannot change it. That's why today we sing, only Jesus. Let our cry always be, only Jesus. All I have is Christ. I don't have Christ and then a couple other things. All I have is Him. And He determines everything in my life and in my eternity. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. For the gate is wide 
and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. There are many other options on how we can find God and live a life of meaning and spirituality, how we can deal with guilt and shame. But Jesus says that many people choose the wide gate, but it all leads to, to destruction. Only the narrow way, only the narrow way leads to life. The idea here is that there's a wide gate that you can kind of wander in. You may not even know you're in or out. But there's a narrow gate that determines what your standing is with God, what your present and future are. Now we live in a culture that is allergic to exclusive claims. We equate exclusivity with oppression and arrogance. There is truth to that. There is truth that some of us and other people, it's not exclusive to Christians, but many of those who hold exclusive truth claims have used it for oppression, have used it to marginalize, to, to push other people away, to oppress them. We have to take that criticism seriously. That's not an uncommon combination. But it doesn't have to be that. Exclusive claims do not necessarily lead to oppression. Those who make exclusive claims are not necessarily arrogant. It's actually impossible to live this life without accepting the necessity of exclusive claims. One does not need to be arrogant, nor does one need to use it to hurt others, but to maintain that all truth claims are equally valid and deserve equal standing in society and in conversation is simply to go against the fabric of reality. You can justify it philosophically. You cannot maintain it practically. What we do culturally and philosophically, we can argue about that, but when you get down to practice, when you get down to everyday life, no one can function if you accept that any truth claim has the same weight as any other. We need air to live. It's a narrow gate. Only air. Narrow gate. You can disagree and object to it. You can stop breathing. But it's part of reality. You cannot entertain in practice that there are many ways to breathe. There are many substances that can support your life. That's just simply not true. Philosophically, sure, you can argue about that. You can argue about why. But practically, you can't do it. If your car is designed to run on gasoline, you cannot put diesel into it. You can't do it. Some have done it. It doesn't work. How narrow-minded. How narrow-minded that somebody would make a car that only runs on gas. Whatever your philosophical objections may be, this is how the car is designed. When you drive your car and attempt to get on the expressway, you better not go on the side of the ramp that says wrong way, <laughs> right? However oppressed and marginalized you may feel by this exclusive claim there's no way to function outside of accepting them. 
I, I am not a handy person to my wife's disappointment. I can't fix many things. And so my garbage disposal got jammed, and, and I knew from before somebody showed me how to fix it. But I didn't have the tool. There's the hex wrench, that very specific thing that works. And you have to put it in, you twist it, you reset it, and it's fine. It's actually an easy, easy fix. Unless you don't have the tool, which I didn't. Let me tell you, nothing else works. <laughs> in my you know, creative burst of energy, I thought, maybe I have a screwdriver that might fit, just maybe. No, it doesn't. Nothing works. I had to get the tool for it to work. How intolerant <laughs> of the garbage disposal to create this exclusive claim that only this thing can work. But I have to accept the reality, right? It's an exclusive claim. It's clear. If I abide by it, I fix it, we go on living. G.K. Chesterton once said, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. Open-mindedness is incredibly helpful in considering a variety of options with the goal of deciding on the right one. I'm a fan of open dialogue. I love conversations. I want to bring different opinions in. I want to discuss it. I love to reason, to debate. This excites me personally. I think this is a fun way to spend the time. But at the end of that conversation, I want to know what's true. I want to know what works. It's fun to entertain all sorts of ideas. And you have to, to figure out what's real. You have to be open. To begin with, you can't come in with a preconceived idea and never be challenged and stick with something that's wrong. But if you don't open your mind enough to absorb the truth and then close your mind over it, you will never get anywhere. Whether a claim is exclusive or not, it doesn't actually matter. What matters is whether it's true. Do you think that what Jesus says is true? That's the question. Don't be thrown off by the exclusive claim of Jesus. The question is, is it true? Is he the only Savior? Is he the one that can actually get us to God? Is he the one that can deal with our guilt? That's the question. Answer that question, is it true? Examine his claims and answer the question, is it true? Enter by the narrow gate. Only one gate through which you can come into the kingdom of God, only one gate through which you can be saved, through which you can find God, and this narrow gate is Jesus Christ himself. So what is your relationship with him? Everything boils down to that. Everything boils down to Christ and Christ alone. Now that's the gate. That's the narrow gate. What about the way? Some, some say, well, you enter through a narrow gate, but then you do whatever you want. Doesn't matter. No strings attached. This is how Jesus describes it, verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus not only says there is one narrow gate, but this entrance leaves the person on a hard way. Now, the meaning is that 
The path we walk once in the kingdom is also narrow. The word translated here as hard means narrow. It means restricted. You go through the gate, it's tight, it's narrow, it's only Jesus. But then you keep going on the same narrow path toward life. The contrast here is between the easy, broad way with many people wandering around on it and then the hard, narrow way where you can only walk single file. Uh, You think about a spacious avenue or boulevard in the city with trees, with lots of lanes of traffic, with lots of sidewalks and cafes. That's the Broadway. And then you think about a tunnel or a bridge. That's the narrow way. I grew up in a city that, in Kiev, that, that had just city planning at a certain time, wonderful, before cars. When cars showed up, it doesn't work as well. But broad squares and broad boulevards, pretty trees, you can walk. And then you have the subway system, because the city is hilly. Some of the, some, to get to the train underground, you take two escalators down, and it's very narrow. And if you're claustrophobic, that's a kind of a freaky experience. That's the difference. Jesus has drawn this contrast for us. There's the broad way, the wide gates, the broad way, and then there's the narrow gate and the narrow way. The reason the Christian life is a narrow way is because we are following one person. That's the reason. You can't preach this passage without Jesus. You cannot do that. It's not narrow because of other things. It's narrow because you're following Jesus himself, and he's one person, and you're following in his steps. He's leading us on this narrow path. He said, follow me. And if you take being his disciples seriously, you must embrace the narrowness of the way. Dallas Willard said, if I am Jesus' disciple, that means I am with him to learn from him how to be like him. Great definition of discipleship. I am with him. It's a relationship. I'm with Jesus. To learn from him, he's teaching me, I'm learning how to be like him. The goal is to be like him, to imitate him, to do what he does. That is incredibly narrow. To be with him, to learn from him, to be like him, that's incredibly narrow. Discipleship is not the broad way of human options and opinions. It is the narrow way of following Jesus, knowing him, trusting him, obeying him. Listen to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, But if we behold Jesus Christ going on before step by step, we shall not go astray. But if we worry about the dangers that beset us, if we gaze at the road instead of at him who goes before, we are already straying from the path. For he is himself the way, the narrow way and the straight gate. He and he alone is our journey's end. When we know that, we're able to proceed along the narrow way through the straight gate of the cross and on to eternal life. And the very narrowness of the road will increase its certainty. The way which the Son of God trod on earth and the way which we too must tread as citizens of two worlds on the razor edge between this world and the kingdom of heaven could hardly be a broad way. The narrow way is bound to be right. 
I love the way Bonhoeffer sees it. He does not minimize the difficulty of the way. But he also tells us that the very difficulty, the very narrowness, the very restrictive nature of the way gives us certainty and proves that it's right. When we see the narrow way in terms of our relationship with Jesus, its narrowness actually brings confidence and affirmation and certainty to us. We need not question whether what we believe is right, only whether this is what Jesus says. It's very clear. Things become very clear when you see your life as a discipleship, as apprenticeship, as following this one person along the narrow path. We need not wonder whether a sacrifice is too great, only whether Jesus demands it. We need not worry about losing our way. We need only keep our eyes on Jesus walking in front of us. Narrowness is right. Narrowness is good for a disciple of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the world will never accept many of our views and values. Now, at times, they will accept some and reject others. Sometimes they'll flip-flop. But the world will never fully accept who we are and what we believe. Our sexual ethics will always be too restrictive, too narrow, too oppressive. But we need not worry about what the world thinks, only about what Jesus thinks. We're following him, not the world. Our concern for the least in the society will often be inconvenient and annoying to the world. But we do not answer to the world. We answer to Jesus. Our commitment to the dignity of human life, including our opposition of abortion, seems so backwards in the world. But we're okay with being backwards with the world as long as we are right with Jesus. Our drive for justice can make some powerful enemies for us in the world. But we can be enemies with the world if we are friends with Jesus. I'm okay with being called a bigot if I remember that Jesus calls me his beloved. We might be judged by the world, but there's no condemnation for us in Christ. Do you see how simple and clear things become once you see your life as following one person in the narrow way of discipleship? Because the way of discipleship is by definition a narrow way. We follow Jesus. You can't bring your idols with you. There's no room for them. They don't fit through the tunnel of discipleship. Our flesh gets us stuck in the tunnel. You got to lose it to continue to progress. There's no room for the devil to walk beside you. And you can't keep your head high and your chest puffed out in pride. The kind of way that Jesus has for us is the way where you have to stoop in humility to follow him. The way of discipleship is the way of humility, is the way of looking to Jesus, is the way of focusing on him, is the way of following closely in his steps. It's as if he's walking us through a minefield, and you know that every step matters. 
and you're watching him closely, and you're doing what he does, and you're doing what he says, and you're following him, come what may, but you're on this narrow way of discipleship. Now, of course, we see many professing Christians presenting Christianity as a Broadway. The standard of discipleship is lowered to accommodate more people. Now, the motivation may be right. We want more people to know Jesus. We want more people to know this life that we have in Him. We are welcoming people. We are evangelizing kind of people. We are hospitable people. This is who we are. And so we're always going to pull others in. That's part of our life. That's part of our faith. But we can do that by giving them something other than what Jesus describes as a life in Him. By changing, by lowering the standard, by saying, well, we want you to come, but if you're struggling with this part, we'll just delete that so you can come. We'll lower this. We'll broaden the way for you. Remember what Jesus said, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus expects that many people will have difficulty with the narrow gate and the narrow way of the Christian faith. A.W. Pink, a Bible teacher, writing in 1950. This is what he wrote. I think what he describes, very much describes our time today. A.W. Pink says, And why is it that there are scarcely any left among us who really believe that only the few will reach heaven? There can only be one answer because it is now generally held that heaven can be obtained on much easier terms than those prescribed by Christ. The adulterous generation in which our lot is cast are quite sure that heaven can be reached without treading the only way which leads there, that the kingdom of God can be entered without passing through much tribulation, that we may be disciples of Christ without denying self, taking up our cross and following him. They do not believe that if the right eye offends it, offends it must be plucked out, and if the right hand offends, it must be cut off. They do not believe that if they live after the flesh, they shall die, and that only if through the Spirit they mortify the deeds of the body, they shall live. They are fully persuaded that a man can serve two masters and succeed in making the best of two worlds. In short, they do not believe the gate is as straight nor the, way as, nor the way as narrow as Christ declared it to be. My question to you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, have you embraced the narrow way of discipleship? This is a very important thing to consider. Many of us would prefer a broader way and we're trying to broaden it. We're trying We're trying to just not know certain things that Jesus says, to forget them, to ignore them. But as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, this is what we've done. This is is my effort to bring us to the reality of what Jesus describes the Christian life to be and to conform to that, to read his sermon and say, how do I live like that? Am I really fighting my lust? Am I really fighting my anger? Am I hypocritical in my religion? Am I generous to others? Do I treat others as I would like to be treated? What are my priorities? We have to wrestle with that. This is what Jesus wants. And he says that this way of discipleship is a narrow way. 
It's supposed to feel tight, constricted, restrained, narrow, hard. It's supposed to be that way because you're following one person and you go wherever he leads you and you follow everything he says. Have you embraced the narrow way of discipleship or do you expect this to be easy? And finally, what is the end? If you progress on the journey, what is the end? Now, the function of the gate, of any gate, is twofold. It lets in and it shuts out. It lets some in, it leaves some people out. There is an implicit challenge in this passage. Will you enter by the narrow gate? Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. That's a command. He's He's asking you to be on the path of discipleship. Will you enter by the narrow gate or will you be left outside? Now listen to what Jesus says in Luke 13. There's a parallel passage, Luke 13, 24 and following. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. This is what is what's at stake. This is why these, these passages read the way they read. There's a challenge, there's an implicit challenge for us. There's a call to decide. The wide gate and the broad way lead to destruction. And the narrow gate and the hard way lead to life. And Jesus does mean eternal destruction and eternal life. This is a matter of living in God's kingdom forever or being excluded from his kingdom in hell. This is an urgent call. What is at the end of your journey? There are two options, Jesus says. And there are only two options. One is Jesus and everything good with him. The other is everything else. All these other options, all these other ways, all these other paths, all these other doors. But it doesn't matter what other path you take. If you're not following Jesus, you are headed for destruction. Hear what Jesus says. He's very clear. He doesn't want us to be confused. He doesn't want us to rationalize it away. He doesn't want us to walk away thinking there may be another way. There are two ways, two doors, two ways and two destinations. One is life, through the narrow gate, on the narrow way. The other one is destruction, is death, is eternal damnation, and that is through the broad way, through the wide gate. Where are you headed? Now, I want to encourage you to choose Jesus today. So I want to tell you a little bit more about him about the king who calls you to follow him through the narrow gate and in the narrow way to life. This may help you respond to his call. You heard me talk about the exclusive claims. 
You heard me talk about the, the narrow way of discipleship, of the way of sacrifice and humility. You heard me talk about life at the end of that. But if you're hesitant, you need to know about the king. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. You need to know who he is. This king who said that he is the narrow gate to life, who makes this exclusive claim, consider why he can make it. Consider specifically why Jesus can make this claim and it makes sense. The king is God who became human, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross for you. That's the king who tells you, enter by a narrow gate. It is he who went through the narrowest of gates for you. He experienced death in your place so that you can have life in his place. The message of the kingdom is this. You can pay for your own sins or you can accept that Jesus paid for yours. It's a narrow gate indeed, but it is an open gate. Jesus is the door, he said, exclusive claim. I am the door, but he is an open door. He's calling you to enter into the kingdom because of what he has done for you. Will you come? Will you come through the narrow gate of Jesus into the kingdom? And as you enter through the narrow gate, he calls you to follow him in the hard way of discipleship. Jesus says it with incredible clarity. Nobody should be confused. Nobody should be mistaken of what a life of discipleship entails. He says in Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And in case you're confused, how many times? Daily, he says. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's discipleship. That's the narrow way. But it is a way that Jesus walked before you. He took up his cross. He denied himself. He followed you into your sin and your guilt and your shame and your pain. Will you follow him now? Do you see how these exclusive claims... This call to hard discipleship, this call to, to the kingdom only through Christ, they cannot be oppressive. They cannot be arrogant because the person who calls you to do that is the person who gave his life for you, is the person who limited and constrained and restrained himself for you. Yes, he says your way is narrow, but his was more narrow. Yes, he calls you to sacrifice himself, but his sacrifice was greater. And he says, follow me. Follow me because, of, because I followed you. Will you follow him? And at the end of this narrow way is life. It's life. Jesus does not call us into sacrifice for no reason. This is all training for life. This is all conduits and channels from God to bring us more and more life. This is why for many Christians, when we talk about the narrow way, when we talk about the discipleship, notice we are not complaining. We like the narrow way. We like being restricted. We'd rather be a bullet in the gun than be bullets uh, somewhere in someone's pocket randomly wandering around. We don't want that. We want a clarity. 
We want a direction. We want to be where God wants us to be because we know that there's life in this. And so we embrace it. The narrow way does not feel oppressive to us. It's full of life, and we get more life as we go, as we get closer to him. And then one day, when our king comes in glory, we will be rid of death forever. And we will live in his eternal kingdom, in his restored creation, in the new heaven and the new earth that he will make for us. All because our king came to us and he came for us. I am very excited about what is yet to come for me as a Christian and for you as his people. We are not sad people. Sacrifices are worth it. The narrow way makes sense. The narrow gate is the gate we want to go through because there's life that's given to us by grace. And the longer you walk with Christ, the more confident and certain you become that this way is the right way and this person is worth following. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Have you entered by the narrow gate? Are you following the hard way? Do you have life? And is Jesus your king today?